I knew you would make it here today. I knew you would. Because a little snow, not ice, a little snow isn't going to stop some Midwestern people from being where they want to be, right? That, that'll be, yeah, you clap if you want to. You're clapping for yourself. You're clapping for yourself, yeah. That'll be proven today around noon when about 80,000 people show up at Arrowhead, right? Because they'll, they'll, we'll be where we want to be. But seriously, to you here at Garden City, uh, to all of you at Adrian, uh, to you guys at Lewisburg, and to those who join us online, um, I'm hoping that you all are having a Merry Christmas. I'm in it. It's, it's Christmas time. I hope you're having a Merry Christmas, and I welcome you to the eighth and the final week of the series that we've been studying called Grace and Grit, a study of the little book of 2 Timothy. You know, most days, our greatest challenges, our greatest complaints center on people, don't they? Yeah. I mean, some of you are already thinking about that person who will be at your family holiday dinner. You're already thinking about it. For some of you, it's that person at work. For some of you, it's that person in the classroom. It's people. But it's also interesting that in moments of great achievement, like, I don't know, a Heisman Award, we often think of the people who helped us get there, right? I just had to sneak that in early. I did. Go Tigers. That's, that's all that's about. Uh, but also it's interesting to me for people in times of loss, people in times of sickness, people in times of tragedy, suddenly, even far from perfect people, far from perfect relationships are suddenly recognized for the value that they really are. In God's kingdom, relationships are not optional. Say it again. In God's kingdom, relationships are not optional because Jesus said if you love him, then you love who? You love people. But when you love people, there is always relational risk. And the risk is that sometimes your heart is broken. That's what Paul's going to help us with today. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. You got an outline too that you were given today. I encourage you to grab a pen, pencil, something that you can write with, jot down a few notes so that it can help us retain what God wants to give us today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, let me show you what I mean about people. Verse 9, Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly. Now he's writing to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy, so it's a letter to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Sometimes your heart is broken. Here's the first reason Paul gives us. Because people you think love Jesus do not. It's interesting, that's where Paul starts. 
People that you think love Jesus, they do not. Now, this guy Demas is mentioned several times in the Bible. In the book of Philemon, Demas is mentioned right, as, right alongside Luke. Demas and Luke seem, seem to be companions on, on the journey. And they're called fellow workers. So Demas is, is thought to be somebody who's in this for the long haul with Paul in terms of ministry. Again, in the book of Colossians, Paul says, Luke greets you along with Demas. But by the time we get to 2 Timothy, Luke is still on board, but Demas is gone. And the reason that he gives is because he loved this world. Over all the years of leading, there is no way that I can count the number of people that I have seen this happen to. Where somewhere along the way, their own desires, their their own wants results in them leaving the fellowship of, of the church Sometimes in order to find another one that would maybe enable them to get whatever they want, even though it, Jesus would say, no, this is, this is not something you want, they will either find another place that will allow them to love the world or they will just leave the faith altogether. And you've been there. It, it leaves you shaking your head going, man, I thought they loved Jesus, but they love the world more. And what does it do to your heart? It breaks. It breaks. Sometimes people leave and your heart is broken. But we're also reminded in what Paul tells us today that sometimes when people leave, it's not negative. Here's what I mean. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 again. We're going to start. Verse 10 says, Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And then in verse 12, he also tells us, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Now, in all three of those instances, these are not bad things. These these people are being sent. They're not going because of conflict, not because they love the world more. They're actually going because they love Jesus more. They're going to spread the good news in territories that need to hear it. So here's the second part I think that we learned today. Sometimes your heart is broken because people who love Jesus are sent. Sometimes they're sent. Heart of Life has, has experienced this on some level with some of the missionaries that we have sent out, even though a lot of people would call that short term. I mean, there are times that we will see people go on mission for three months or six months or eight months or 10 months. And we don't see them in that period of time. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not that very long. I would challenge you to ask their families if you think that's very long, right? But what's happening is because they love Jesus, it's not negative. This is God-directed and empowered. But the truth is there's still relationships. Therefore, there's still love. Therefore, our heart still feels the physical separation when they go. Our heart breaks. Let's keep reading. Paul gives us more. Verse 11. He says, get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, I I need to give you a little background here before we fill in the blank. It didn't always look this positive 
between Paul and Mark. Mark was a cousin of a guy named Barnabas, right, which we we read about Barnabas in in the early church and just him him being an incredible leader. Barnabas was one of Paul's first ministry partners. They were were kind of like a a, a dynamic duo, I mean, a Batman and Robin kind of on mission kind of pairing. And, And we really don't know the details of why Mark did what he did, but we know what happened. In Acts chapter 15, we get a part of the story. It tells us that Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. That's who we're talking about. He wanted to take him with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he, that's Mark, had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Apparently somewhere along the way, Mark quit. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas parted company. Sometimes your heart is broken because people who love Jesus disappoint you. They do. That's what happened with Paul and Mark. Mark did something that disappointed Paul to the point that Paul's like, we're not, you're not coming with us anymore. It happens. Now, Mark ends up going with Barnabas. That's Mr. Encouragement. That's a good guy to go with. Eventually, Mark would be mentored by a guy named Peter, as in the Apostle Peter. In fact, Mark ends up writing a book of the Bible. It's called the Gospel of Mark. My, my point is, eventually Mark's going to work with Paul again, and by the end of, of Paul's life, he sees Mark as helpful. But in the journey, it wasn't that perfect. There was disappointment. And when that happens, it breaks your heart. Sometimes that heartbreak can turn to joy, but sometimes it doesn't. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm, Paul says. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Sometimes, Paul says, your heart is broken because people who oppose Jesus oppose you. Sometimes your heart's broken because people who oppose Jesus oppose you. Now, who is this Alexander guy? Well, the honest truth is we're not exactly sure. There are other times in the Bible where the, where the name Alexander is given. And, and in those instances, it's someone that, that we would maybe consider troublemaker. But this is the only time this designation, the metal worker, is given. And we don't know if the other ones were Alexander the metal worker. It's just difficult to tell. What we know, he caused Paul a lot of trouble and he opposes the message. Can I tell you that there is a risk involved in building relationships for the purpose of wanting to share the good news of Jesus? Because sometimes people don't want to follow Jesus. Jesus has this call to deny self. Perhaps you've heard that. Well, a call to deny self will make a lot of people say, no thanks, no thanks. I'm not following Jesus. And they will oppose him. And sometimes when they oppose him, they oppose you. And there's heartbreak. That's what Paul experienced. But I think you would agree with me that I think pain 
from the outside is almost always easier to take than pain from the inside. Verse 16. At my first defense, Paul says, remember he's on trial. Paul's in prison, probably 20 feet deep in a Roman, a Roman prison for, for declaring that he loves and Jesus and he's preaching the good news of a Jesus who died and rose from the dead. At my first defense, no one came. No one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. You know, don't you, that sometimes your heart is broken because people you think are with you are not. That's what Paul experienced. He's on trial. Now, I, I, I imagine that Paul knows that none of his friends showing up at trial are probably going to free him. That's not the point. I think he knows that, that those who have stood with him, if they show up, I don't think he expects that that is going to be what rescues him from the trouble that he's in. The point is, he just thought they would be there. We know that Jesus experienced the same. Come on, think of all the people who had ever been blessed by Jesus in the three and a half years of ministry, all the healings, all, all the people who had been blessed, and even all of those who had followed him. And there's one guy at the cross, just one. And man, the, the, the pain that is connected to that of thinking that someone is with you only to find out that they are not, We'll talk about more that, about that in a minute, but it is, it is heartbreaking. And then there's one more that I think Paul lists here. Sometimes I think we would miss this one, but in verse 20, he says, I left Trophimus, what? Sick in Miletus. I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. And so here's, here's the last one I've got for you. Sometimes your heart is broken because people you love are hurting. People you love are hurting. The more people with which you risk, the, the more people that you decide to love, the greater the possibility that some of them will be hurt and therefore the greater the possibility that you are going to feel, experience some of that pain that they experience. Like Paul with Trophimus, sometimes it's a sickness. Uh, sometimes it might be a, a, a struggling relationship, a struggling marriage, maybe a, a job that's lost and suddenly there, there's financial pressure. My, my point is the more people that you decide to love, the more possibility for hurt that's going to exist and therefore greater possibility that you will end up feeling some of the weight of the burden that they carry and it breaks your heart when you see people hurt. Wow. That's quite a list. If you just stop there, I, you're probably depressed till at least till after Christmas, right? What a list. Relational risk because of people. Hearts can be broken. I've shared this with you before, but it just seemed right to read a little bit of it to you again today. C.S. Lewis 
once said it this way. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. He's right. If you really love, you're vulnerable because you're risking, you're trusting. He says, there's no safe investment. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. But C.S. Lewis knew, like we know, there's a choice. He said, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, he says, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and anxieties of love is hell. Wow. So if you tell me somewhere along the way, You've been burned. You would tell me somewhere along the way, even from God's people, you've been burned. I'm saying that at least to some degree, I understand. And the truth of the matter is, if we went around the room, every person in whatever campus we're located at today, every person in the room would go, I understand. Nobody's exempt from that. And what I'm saying is, I realize it is real, the pain is real, but you've got to keep loving because the alternative is more painful if you choose to close down. The way out involves a willingness to risk again. It involves a willingness to trust again, a willingness to love again. And so the question then, how do you continue to operate when there's so much relational risk? I mean, we, I just gave you six things that the Apostle Paul mentions that he goes, this will break your heart. It's everywhere. How do you deal with that? How do, how do you not just close into a casket of selfishness and protect? How do you deal with it? That's, that's where we need to be. Well, the first thing you got to remember is this. Forgiveness resurrects brokenness. Forgiveness resurrects brokenness. Now, we've already talked a few minutes about Paul's relationship with Mark. Mark, who somewhere along the way bailed, and Paul's like, no, I'm not taking him with me anymore. I'm going to read the verse again in verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, Paul now says, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Clearly some work had to be done. Clearly some kind of reconciliation had to be made. Forgiveness. 
But in what Paul writes at the end of, of, of 2 Timothy, there's also another piece of evidence there. I also read to you earlier from verse 16. If we can go back to verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everybody deserted me. But there's one more phrase that Paul attaches to it. May it not be held against them. Forgiveness. Here is a man who just knows if you're going to love people, there are going to be disappointments. If you're going to love people, that there are going to be things that happen. you got to know that forgiveness has to be a part of what you breathe every day. That's the secret sauce to forgiveness because forgiveness absorbs the debt in a sense. But then it goes one step further. And what Paul models here is that not only does forgiveness hold no record of wrongs, but it also goes so far as to even say, God, will you not hold that record against them? Forgiveness, I'm convinced, is just perhaps the most beautiful out-of-this-world thing that you and I ever do. Unearned, undeserved, but the most Christ-like thing that we can participate in in order that that someone else's problem, we, we absorb that cost, but to the point that we're saying, I want nothing bad for you. I wish only the best for you. May it not be held against them. That phrase suddenly triggers another scene that we find in the Bible. In the book of Acts, there's this place where a guy by the name of Stephen, Stephen was one of the seven. Remember when the seven were chosen in order to help with the ministry of the church? Well, Stephen ends up being, as far as we know, the first person martyred, the first person who loses their life because they are bold in declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Bible doesn't mean that he fell asleep like you and I. It's a, it's a phrase often used to describe he, 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 he died. It's as though he closes his eyes in this life and he opens them with Jesus. But there's a little part of this story that you should also know. It's the verse right before this one. It says, meanwhile, the witnesses who are the ones throwing rocks, laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who's Saul? That's Paul. He's now Paul. His name, once Saul, now Paul. He's the guy who's writing 2 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy. He, he's the one. I, I, it's the first time we see him in the Bible. This is it. This is the first time we see 
a picture of, of, of Paul in the Bible, and, and he's not just observing this, this heinous act that's happening to Stephen. He's actually the one who's leading the charge. He's the one who's giving the thumbs up to the, to the stoning that's taken place. And when it says they lay their coats at his feet, that, that's what that's about. It's about recognizing him to be the one in charge. And he watches Stephen absorb the cost and then pray that nothing would be held against those who did it. I would say it seems to be obvious that moment was etched into the mind and eventually into the heart of Paul. Because here he is in 2 Timothy closing his life. And verbatim, those are the words that, that we hear him say. It's why Paul would reconcile with Mark. It's why he wouldn't hold it against those who didn't show up when he really thought they would show up just being honest. And it's the hope. It's why there's hope for you and me in reconciling. It is God's resurrecting power to work any fractured or broken relationship that we may feel. And when we do that, we are imitating Jesus himself. We are emulating Jesus himself on his cross in his own time of suffering. All the people who've run except one. And what does Jesus pray? Father, forgive them. So, who do you need to forgive? And who do you possibly need to ask forgiveness from? Because if you love people, you will have to forgive. Because if you love people, they will mess up. And if you love people, you will mess up. Forgiveness has to be the breath we breathe. Mm. How does Paul deal with so much heartbreak? He is a man forgiven and therefore a man who forgives. Second, you got to remember, there are still faithful brothers and sisters. You got to remember, there are still faithful brothers and sisters. Let me show you a, a few of these that we find in the text in verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Now, don't read that like only Luke's with me. Can you please hurry up and get here because only Luke. He, he, remember Demas and Luke? And his point is Demas now loves the world. He's gone. Only Luke is here. But the point is Luke is there. Luke is there. In verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the house of Onesiphorus. They, they, had, they had been faithful people in Paul's life. We know that through, through what we read. In verse 20, Erastus, you got to love the names in the Bible. Erastus stayed in Corinth. In verse 21, Eubulus greets you, and so do uh, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. In other words, 
okay, you know there are some stories where people have deserted me, Paul says, and there there are people who have betrayed me, and, and there are people who are opposed to me, but he still recognizes there are so many people who remain faithful to him. And can we at least admit that it is so easy sometimes to get so caught up in the emotional sense of who is gone to the point that we forget who stays. I've seen it happen with people experiencing loss, like through death in a a family. And man, you know me, I'm not saying you don't grieve. Grieving is a part of the God process that we are given. He, He puts those tears in us. There's a consequence to loving. Sometimes there's loss. And sometimes that grieving takes a long, long time. But at some point, a part of the healing is to realize that there are still people It can happen in betrayal. Somebody betrays you, somebody does something wrong, somebody you thought you could trust, somebody you thought they would be there and and, and they're not. And you can quickly develop an attitude that just believes the whole world is useless. When really, to borrow a line from the Old Testament, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee. I encourage you, don't give those who leave more than those who stay the permission to shape how you live and how you love. I'll say it again. Don't give those who leave your life more than those who stay in your life the permission to shape how you live and how you love. Paul senses that his time is short. We get it. He's been in prison more times than we probably can count. I mean, you know the whole stories. He's been beaten, the stonings, the shipwrecks. I mean, he's been close to death a lot of times. But you can tell in 2 Timothy that Paul seems to know his time is short. And so these are the very last words that we have Paul penning in Scripture. And after declaring that if this is his time, he's ready to go, then he does not close with program strategy. He does not close with philosophy of ministry. He doesn't even close what we think of in terms of doctrinal clarity. What he closes with are people in his life. And he doesn't just take a few verses to do it. He takes 75% of the last chapter to do it. People. I hear Paul saying, yes, some have left me. But many remain. It is still right to trust. But you got to choose to trust or you will get lost in the sense of loss. Some of us perhaps really struggle to move forward in life because we always count those who leave, but we never seem to have the ability to count those who stay. I wanna challenge you to do something today, and today might be just really one of those great days to do it, I hope, because once you get home safely and uh, maybe maybe, uh, get you something warm to to drink and maybe around the fire or, you know, whatever it is that you're gonna do this afternoon, whether it's a piece of paper or your phone, 
I challenge you to make a list. Take 10 minutes today and make a list of the people who are faithful in your life right now. Make a list. We don't do it enough. We don't pause to do it enough in our life, but just make a list. Then realize, hey, I am not alone in this. I'm choosing to continue to risk then with other people who are around me. That is better than the alternative of a coffin of selfishness. I got to tell you, out of the eight sermons that I preached out of 2 Timothy, this one, I shed more tears as I studied and prepped than any, any of the other sermons. And it's not because the others didn't at times just put me on the floor with some things that needed to be changed in my heart and some things I needed to see, but I wept more prepping for this sermon because it was like God took me back through so many And realizing how many faithful people have been and are. You can't love people if you don't trust again. And even if you made your list today and you had no person on it, I still know one that is. And that's where we wrap this. As you remember, Jesus is always with you. That's where Paul hangs out the most in this passage, honestly. Jesus always with you. Here's what he says in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're like, wait a minute, I thought Paul's 20 feet deep in a prison. He is. Well, where's the deliverance? Oh, he sees it. He sees the king who stands with him. He gets that this is so much bigger than, than the, the few birthdays that he celebrates in this life. He gets the eternal picture. When Paul gets the chance to, to preach even to the guards in the prison, he sees it as victory. He sees it as doors that get open to him. Jesus always with him in your pain, in your sorrow, in your hour of trial, when no one else will stand, when everybody else has deserted, Jesus is always with you. And because he is, just like Paul, it frees you to risk with other people. Will they always be trustworthy? Nope. But he will. He will. Keep trusting, keep forgiving, and keep standing because Jesus is with you. So here's your application. 
What relational risk will you make this week? What relational risk will you make this week? Some of you, it's about forgiveness. And it might be that these holidays really bring that up again. Maybe it's a family issue. I don't know what the circumstance would be for you, but I'm saying I, I, I would just imagine for a lot of us, it's forgiveness. Or maybe for you, it is to offer help to someone who you know needs it, but you have been playing the safe game because you know if you get too close, there's some baggage that goes with it, and you're, it's going to cost you some time, it might cost you some resources, and it definitely might cost you a broken heart. And so maybe the risk you need to take is that person that God has put you in their path. You, you see them and you know it. It's time for you to risk and it's time for you to love. I got a really practical one even for this week. Um, who are you going to invite to Christmas service next week? When we gather together, I mean, next week's going to be so built for, for those who have never met Jesus, my, my challenge to you is this week, who is somebody that you know doesn't know Jesus that you could invite to be a part of our gatherings next week when we gather to celebrate Christmas? Christmas is the time of the year when people who don't know Jesus will often be willing to at least visit. I'm saying leverage for that. Leverage your life for that. Take the relational risk. Sounds a bit gritty. I know. It's risky. But here's where Paul leaves us. Verse 22, the last verse that Paul pens. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Now, I told you this at the beginning. When Paul starts a letter, his letter usually starts about something saying grace from God. In 2 Timothy, it's the same, verse 2. Grace from God. Every letter, he starts that way. And every letter, he, starts with, he, he ends with some form of grace be with you. The whole point is Paul knows nothing happens for us without God's grace. None of us accomplish anything without the grace of God. So, so what happens is God's saying, I'm gracious to you, which includes, here's my word that's being brought to you. And for the past eight weeks, we have poured out into, into 2 Timothy, right, asking God to teach us and show us. And Paul's saying, that is God's grace to you. When God speaks, it is truth. When God speaks his word, it is transformational. And so here is God's word that you need coming from him to you. So now... Live it because God's grace is the fuel for your grit. God, help us to live boldly, whatever the cost, for so great a savior, and so great a mission. In light of what we have heard God speak to us today,
what do we need to ask from God?